I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. I'm a fishing kid. I bleed red, white, and blue. I'm a fishing kid. American through and through. And I'll fight for this land I love. From the sea, the ground, or from high above. Cause I'm a fishing Welcome, everybody, to episode 197 of the podcast. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action that is coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, it is time for another Frogman Friday edition of First Class Fatherhood. Joining me today on the podcast will be former Navy SEAL Chris McKinley, and he is a descendant of the 25th President of the United States, William McKinley. So please stick around for the interview. A little while back on episode 185, I had the honor of speaking with the grandson of the 41st president of the United States, George H.W. Bush. His grandson, George P. Bush, was here, so uh, it is so cool to have another presidential relative on the show here. And if I keep this up, I might have to put together a little uh, six degrees to the White House version of first class fatherhood here. But I am honored to have another Navy SEAL on the podcast. Last week, instead of a Frogman Friday episode, I had jockey Jose Ortiz on the show to get you guys ready for the Kentucky Derby. He went on to win the Kentucky Oaks that day and then finished third in the Kentucky Derby with a strong performance. So if you missed out on that episode, please go back to episode 192 and check it out. Now, I did make an error in yesterday's episode, and for some reason, I lost count of my episode numbers, and I announced it as episode 176 instead of 196, and I even put 176 on the cover art, and uh, two of you listeners out there hit me up almost immediately there to make me aware of the mistake, and I appreciate your attention to detail. Uh, you guys spotted that pretty quickly. I made the change to the cover art, but the episode itself... Uh, I still say uh, 176 in the monologue, so I do apologize for that. Next week is going to be just an incredible week on the show here. We are going to hit our 200th episode, and boy, do I have an awesome guest lined up to bring you guys. I did mention a few of the guests that will be joining me here next week. A personal trainer from Egypt, Mata Abdelhamid, who is a former WWE wrestler and a personal trainer of Jason Momoa from Game of Thrones and Aquaman fame. Uh, so he is going to be here with me. Also, three-time Super Bowl champion Lonnie Paxton, who played for both the New England Patriots as well as the Denver Broncos. So make sure you are following me over on Instagram at Alec Lace to find out who will be the guest for the 200th episode as well as the rest of the guests for next week. I got a five-banger coming at you, including another Frogman Friday edition next week. Find out who that Navy SEAL will be. And please, do me a favor and spread this podcast around to every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list. Let them know about the show that is celebrating fatherhood and family life. Fatherhood rocks, family values rule, and every day is Father's Day right here with me. And I am going to jump right into the action now with former Navy SEAL Chris McKinley. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. I cannot say thank you enough to all the listeners out there. You will hear a word from my sponsors in the middle of today's interview. If you would like to help me make First Class Fatherhood ad-free, please consider becoming a supporter of the podcast by hitting the link in the description of today's podcast episode. 
All right, and joining me now is a first-class father. He is a combat veteran who served with the elite U.S. Navy SEALs. He is the founder of four successful companies in the medical device and security spaces. You may have seen him as a commentator on CNN, ABC, NBC, MSNBC, and many others. Uh, He has a master's degree in physician assistant studies. It is a big honor for me to say Chris McKinley. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Hey, Alex. Thank you for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. All right, here we go. How many kids do you have, and how old are they? I have one child, and he is 17 years old. Wow, okay. What type of uh, sports or activities was he into growing up? So uh, my son is a huge, hugely into volleyball. He's been doing it for about 10 years. Uh, his, his mother played Division II volleyball on a scholarship, and, and uh, so he's, I think he's genetically got that volleyball gift. And, uh, you know, good kid. He's taller than me, stronger than me, faster than me, smarter than me, and uh, that's everything I've always wanted him to be. Now if I can just get him to be wealthier than me at some point in time, I'll be, I'll be the happiest dad I can be. I've always been amazed at, at fathers that keep, their, that, that keep their child down, like that under the thumb kind of thing. I've always tried to give him you know, roots and wings and, and very much an, an experiential uh, parent. And I'm thinking, why would I buy him an object when I can buy him an experience, you know? That's, that's pretty much what I've, what I've uh, aspired to do his whole life. And, and you know, I think it, it pays, it's, it's, I'm already seeing it paying off now, and I think it'll continue to pay off throughout his whole life. Yeah, good stuff. All right, Chris, please just take a second here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Okay, so uh, I was in the Navy for a little over 10 years. Um, the only job I ever had in the Navy was a SEAL. Um, went from right from boot camp to buds or SEAL training, right from buds to a SEAL team, and uh, fell you know lock, stock, and barrel headfirst into it. I mean, it's not, not nothing that you can toe touch. You just got to jump headfirst right into it if you want to be successful at it. Uh, so I did that for a little over ten years, and then I broke from that. My wife became pregnant with my son, and I had to make a hardcore decision: Do I want to continue on these? you know, massive, lengthy pre-deployment workups and then do a deployment and then come back and start the process all over again and be estranged from her and estranged from my, from my son. So I made a pretty um, hard decision, and I, and I broke from that, and I started doing um, – well, first I went to physician assistant school. I, I, I became a, a PA. I have my master's degree as a PA, and I'm you know, currently licensed, fully licensed in Ohio and in North Carolina. Uh, so I went to PA school, and then I started working for Blackwater and um, did that all throughout North Africa. I ran the Joint Special Operations Aviation Detachment Program in, in uh, West Central and uh, Northwest Africa. I did that for two years. And I was a director of medical operations there and did some logistics and some of the planning as well. I also spent some time in Iraq with Blackwater and with uh, Blackwater in Afghanistan as well and Pakistan. So, you know, all the hot spots and exciting, exciting job and the money was good. And I was able to make my own schedule. So it wasn't as egregious as being in the Navy and being constantly gone. I was, you know, home for 30 days, 45 days, and then I was gone from 45 days to 60 days, occasionally 90, but, you know, hardly, hardly ever was it 90 um, so when I was home, I could focus on my son full time. I would spend every day with him, taking him to school, making him lunches, picking him up from school, uh, and, and and also to be to be fair, when I was gone, I would have 
you know, sat phone conversations with him or we would do a, a FaceTime um, and, you know, just, just, just general cell phone conversations. So always made a, a huge effort to stay connected with him in, in every possible way. And, you know, not just, hey, how's your day going? Hey, how's your, how's the sports going? How are your friends? What's, you know, just, just ask them questions that they have to formulate a, a lengthy response to, not just a, a yes or no question. You're like, you know, I, I always forced him to, to, to give me an answer instead of, you know, in, in the medical field, we call it asking open-ended questions. So, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. So that's a, a little bit about, not about me. And I did that for up until 2012. And then I started my own company called uh, Medical Security International. Uh, I ran that for four years. And concurrently, I had two spinal device distributorships uh, where we would sell rods, screws, biologics to fix spinal fractures and also aging spinal disorders from scoliosis to degenerative disc disease. So that was exciting. And uh, those companies ran for four years and three years respectively. And now I'm doing full-time physician assistant work here in North Carolina. And I you know, thoroughly enjoy it. Yeah, that's incredible, Chris. And thank you for your service. Uh, you have had so many experiences all over the world. How did the experience of becoming a dad kind of change your perspective on life? Well, I, I tell you what, I, it is the, by far, I can say this without hesitation, it is the most amazing experience in my entire life, becoming a father. Like, if you think you love a dog, if you think you love a cat, that is absolutely just shallow bullshit love when you compare it to the love you have for your own flesh and blood and genetic material that you create with another person. It's undeniably the most amazing experience in my life, and it continues to be so on a daily and weekly basis right up to this very second I'm on the phone with you. So... Um, it, it forced me to, to come to grips with my own mortality. I'll, I'll tell you that. Um, and, and, you know, and it also caused me to slow my role and, and be less, less uh, likely to hold my hand up for these risky and dangerous jobs when I was doing the contract work. You know, there was a time when, when, you know, I was just rogering up for everything. And as my son became older and older and older and realized that a, week wasn't a day, wasn't a, wasn't a month, wasn't a year, when his whole sense of that time-space continuum was, was more in line with, 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 a, with a, an adult, I realized I had to slow my roll because he missed me. And I, you know, I missed him. And you know, there there's, comes a point when you realize it doesn't matter how much life insurance you have. Money is a, a poor excuse for, for a father. And being gone all the time to advance your career or to make more money isn't always the right thing to do. Um, you can't get those years back. And you know, I, I think I've done a really good job of managing that time and being involved. And so face-to-face -face with my own mortality and then in better at time management and spending time with, with family and with my son, um, I tell you, it's, uh, you know, I run into guys all the time that, you know, ground out a 25-year spec ops career. And they're mentally broken, they're physically broken, their families are fractured, you know, but they've got uh, a whole lot of challenge coins and a whole lot of chest candy and a shadow box on the wall. Uh, but other than that, they've, they've essentially got nothing. And I never, ever, ever wanted to be that person. So, 
Yeah, listen, Chris, I can't even begin to imagine the difficulty that goes along with the intensity of your career and what you guys sacrifice for our country and for our freedom and then have to balance that off with family. Um, I mean, it is so cool to hear you speak so highly about fatherhood because there is a fatherless problem right now in our country. And given your background as a SEAL and being away for lengthy periods of time, how did you kind of handle discipline with your son? Well, you know, being gone all the time and, and um, there's, there's a little bit of a lack of continuity. So it, it's hard to reinforce some things over an electronic medium. So, you, you know, FaceTime and, and uh, phone calls will only get you so far. So the key to that is having a super good relationship with your co-parent, whether that's your wife or just your baby, baby mama. Um, a lot of guys will make the mistake of having an antagonistic relationship with their co-parent. And that is the wrong thing to do. Um, you know, I've, I've always bolstered and built up my son's mom in, in his eyes and in, in his and in, in his ears. Like I've always said, hey, your mom's pretty. She's smart. She's a hard worker. You're lucky to have a mom like that. We never used him as a message um, traffic, you know, passer. Like I did say, hey, tell your mom this. And she never said, hey, tell your dad this. So. All our son has ever known, and you know, and, and I've been divorced from his mom since he was he was two. He's seventeen now. All he's ever known is that he has two parents that love him to death. His parents get along. His parents love each other. They may not be in love with each other, but they love each other. And he's never had to choose or decide. So I think once you afford your child with that, it's a lot easier to discipline them because they're getting the same message from both of you. There's no antagonism with the parents. And, you know, as a child ages, his attention span and level of understanding increases commensurate with that age. Um, so you, my point is you only have a certain amount of time to get your point or your message across in a disciplinary fashion as they, as they're, as they get older. I read a book um, when he was born called How to Raise a Thinking Child. And that's one of the things that they, they stressed in that book. They said, hey, when he's three years old, you only have about four seconds to make your point. So what I would say is if you took a, a, a toy from another child, I would say, you know, you're not, you, you should not do that. How would you feel if someone took your toy? And you kind of see the wheels turning, but that's the extent of the discipline you're going to get with a three-year-old. So, you know, I'm not a spanker. I'll tell you, I've never physically had to discipline much. I've never spanked, spanked him at all. And the reason why is, I never wanted him to fear my hand. You know, I'm a very, very touchy kind of dude. Now, I'm not, not Joe Biden sniffy touchy, but I'm like, hey, <laughs> I, I like to, you know, give him like shoulder massage or head massage or when I'm talking to him in the bed at night. And, and I never wanted him to fear my hand. But, you know, we, we wrestle a lot. We do some of MMA stuff. And he knows, he knows my strength. And he knows if I, you know, if I wanted to um, take care of him physically, it wouldn't be a problem at all. And he respects me and he loves me. And uh, he's, not a, he's not afraid of my hand, which is, you know, I guess you just got to figure out what kind of discipline style you want to have with your kid. And, uh, you know, obviously, if he was like the spawn of Satan, it maybe maybe my parenting style would be a little bit different. <laughs> yeah, good point. And, and co-parenting can be a difficult experience for, for a lot of dads out there. Uh, it is always a challenge. I just had Quincy Avery on the podcast yesterday here. We talked about this a little bit. And, and what, in your opinion, is the right time to introduce a new female partner into the life of your son? And what has that experience been like for you? So I, I don't know if there was a if I really had a magic number, but but it seemed to have been 
to the point where if I was still with that person at, at month six, then I would slowly make an introduction because you don't want to have this revolving door, um, uh, you know, female position in your life with, with your child or, or, you know what I'm saying? So about six months is when I would make that introduction if they're around that long and it, and it's slow. And anytime my son was over, there was no, I, the girl I was dating would not sleep over. There was no sleepovers or anything with, with a female. Um, because I just didn't want it to him to be exposed to that because it, you know, it wasn't his mother and I wasn't sure if this girl was going to be the person who, who I went the distance with. So very, very cautious. So if I had to put a finite number on it, I'd probably say it was like a six month minimum um, period. And, you, you know, I, I've always, um, I've always kept two vehicles and especially when I was a single guy, again, you know, I'd have the nice, BMW, and I'd have the really modest Nissan or Honda, and the first probably six, seven, eight, ten dates were always in the in the Nissan or the Honda, as you you want this person to get a feel for your your character and your personality, and look beyond a nice car or fancy clothes or a great restaurant, because you want them to buy into you and not the lifestyle that they think that you will offer them, you know. And, you know, I think that, that that's not a male-female sexist thing. It's just like if, if I was a, a successful woman, I would I would recommend uh, doing the same thing with guys that you dated. So it's just smart. It's smart, you know. Good stuff. And how about the technology, Chris? My oldest just hit 13 here. We've just entered the fray of the teenage years for the first time. Uh, I have four kids. He's leading the way here for us. But all this social media and YouTube stuff is a big concern of mine. How have you handled the technology with your son? We definitely have to have to monitor it, and, and we have a policy that, you know, I am not to be locked out of his phone ever, and same with his mom. So we can look at his phone, and, and we can look at his, uh, you know, what he's been searching on the Internet, his YouTube history. He's not allowed to delete that stuff unless we look at it first. So there's this, we hold each other accountable, and now the same thing goes for us. Like, he can pick up my phone and unlock it at any time. And we share locations with each other. He knows where, what my location is and his mom's, and we know where he is at all times. So there's this very um, transparent digital parenting, I guess is how I would describe it. And, and the policy, too, is, hey, if I call you, I don't give a shit what you're doing. Pick up the phone. You know, return a text. So you, uh, we just don't let him get away with, you know, being, being incommunicado with his smartphone. Um, you know, I've, re- I've read some reports recently. They said kids today are a lot more depressed, they're a lot more lonely, and they're a lot more isolated, despite the fact that we have this, quote-unquote, social media. And so social media is making us antisocial. Smartphones are making us dumb. Um, it's just an amazing phenomenon, and, and I, I read a lot of medical journals, so I get a lot of up-to-date um, studies, and that's pretty much much what we're seeing trending across the board. And it's you know it's concerning. It's concerning. Kids are not outside playing. It's not come home when the streetlights um, come on. It's like you know, come home when your phone needs to be charged, right? Yeah, you're right. It is now time to get an important word from our sponsors, and then back with more with Frogman Chris McKinley. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. <music> 
Let's go, dads. You heard me speaking recently about my daddy-daughter date to see Frozen on Broadway, and it was a night to remember. I bought my tickets on SeatGeek.com and used my promo code FIRSTCLASS. That's one word, FIRSTCLASS, and I saved $20 off my tickets, which I used to buy my daughter a souvenir at the show. Right now, baseball season is in full swing. Both NHL and NBA playoffs are heating up. And if you plan on bringing your kids to any live event, go to SeatGeek.com or use the SeatGeek app and plug in my promo code FIRSTCLASS. One word, FIRSTCLASS. And First Class Fatherhood listeners can save $20 off their tickets. It's a slam dunk deal, guys. Go to SeatGeek.com and use the promo code FIRSTCLASS. Fatherhood is the best seat in the house. there and and unfortunately all the parks and the playgrounds they are all empty nowadays whereas when i was growing up uh, the playgrounds would be packed the basketball courts would be full and, and you just don't see that anymore a hundred percent and and you know i talked to many friends of mine that are cops and they say you know you just don't see the stuff happening that we were doing when we were kids like kids aren't throwing rocks through windows they're not shooting windows with bb guns they're not beating up other kids on the playground or they're not you know, throwing snowballs at cars or, you know, stupid little dumb kid stuff that we did, especially boys would do. They said, you don't see any of that stuff. They're like, man, it would be so nice to go to a house and respond to, to someone threw an egg at a car rather than a child assaulted a, 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 his parent or the parent assaulted the child, which is what they say happens more often than not now, which is the reason why they go to someone's house. So it's a complete shift in in um, behaviors of kids, and I really attribute that to to technology. Yeah, and it has created this new style of bullying, this cyberbullying, which, I mean, I thought was really just a joke when I first heard about it, but, I mean, it is far too real. It causes kids to commit suicide and everything else. So uh, you see people that are showcasing these phony lifestyles on Instagram and, uh, and on YouTube, and it creates a depression for some of these guys that really buy into it. Uh, but as far as bullying itself goes, uh, did your son ever have to experience any type of bullying situations, and how did you kind of teach him how to handle one? Well, so I've always told him that... My- my entire life, I've been an anti-bully. And I, I said, look, man, I said, I would, in high school or grade school, if I saw you bullying someone, I would beat the shit out of you. And that would probably help you up off the ground and say, you know, don't bully this person or don't be a bully because if I see you doing it again, I'll, I'll, I'll beat the shit out of you again. That's how I always was. And I told my son, I said, if I ever have to come to the principal's office because you beat up a bully, you stop someone from bullying someone, I said, you will never be in trouble in this house. Ever. I said, I may just, you know, look at the principal and say, uh, thank you for bringing this to my attention. He'll be severely disciplined when, when we get home. And then I'm going to probably high five you when we get in the car. That's always been my position. And, and, you know, he's had a couple of incidences where like maybe someone knocked his books off his desk at school and, you know, he stood up for himself, but he's never been in a physical altercation that I'm aware of at school. Um, and, I, I kind of I kind of think that that's because he has some emotional intelligence too. You know, he knows when how to abort a, a situation verbally, and but he's never been physically touched where he had to respond physically. So I mean, I think that's a, I think that's a good thing. But his, it'll come. His, that time will come. I'm sure. He can handle himself, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. All right, now, Chris, listen, guns have always been a hot-button topic here. Uh, you obviously have some weapons of your own. How did you go about introducing, uh, and when did you go about introducing guns and gun safety to your son? So, you know, I feel probably the way that most SEALs 
feel. We, we view guns as a tool, like an architect uses a pen or a pencil. Um, a, a lot of guys will have a gun-heavy social media presence because that's what sells books and that's what sells T-shirts and that's what sells your gun with your name on it that such and such a company makes. So I get it. But, you know, we're not like the gun fanatic worshipers that a lot of the general public thinks that Spec Ops guys are. So that being said, one of the first things I had my son do was was utilize the Eddie the Eagle coloring book from the NRA. I'm a lifetime NRA member. I think that's a great introductory tool to kids and families and parents, especially kids and families and parents who don't have a lot of gun knowledge or experience or exposure. So we did that right off the bat, and he was four years old. Um, but this is a kid that had a Davy Cricket. It's made by the Henry Rifle Corporation, and the Henry family is actually my father's mother. Her maiden name is Henry, and we are part of the Henry gun family. So we've got the Henry gun family, and we've got the McKinley president side of the house. So we've got a pretty interesting, you know, national history connection. But, but I digress. So, so uh, when he was six, I would teach him how to assemble, disassemble, assemble, and function check quite a few um, pistols that I had, you know, SIGs, H&Ks, Glocks. Then we worked our way up to rifles. And anytime I shot, I would take him with me and, you know, I would shoot into a watermelon or shoot into a cantaloupe. Or, and I'd say, hey, what do you think that would do to someone's head? And he's like, the same thing, you know, explode it, blood everywhere, the whole deal. So he got an idea of what guns can do, but he also had the respect and the knowledge to, to, to take them apart, to reassemble them, clear them, and make them safe. You know, because we've all heard at, the par- at a party or, or a kid's event where you know, got some knucklehead kids together, and they're going through dad's closet, and they find a gun, and one of the kids ends up shooting himself in the head or shooting another kid in the head, and it's an accident, and it's a tragedy. And I never wanted that to happen to my son. Um, and so I felt if I... If I taught him the responsibility and the know-how and gave him that experience, he could uh, avoid that situation. So, you know, he's at the, he's at a kid's house and he, he takes a gun away from a kid, clear it and make it safe, and hand it to an adult. That's what I always wanted him to have, even at the young age, is that ability. And uh, you know, they say you got to child-proof your guns. Yeah, that's great, but you better gun-proof your children. And that's that's the way I did it. Eddie the Eagle, disassembly, reassembly, shooting, observing shooting, uh, clearing it, making it safe, the whole gamut. So pretty much what I've I've done with him, I've given him that experience, exposure, and responsibility. And And well said. Yeah. Hey, man, you can look at a gun anytime you want. Just get me up. If you want to go into the gun safe and check out a gun, I don't care if it's 2.30 in the morning. Just We can do it. You know, take the mystery out of it. Yeah, that's some great advice right there, Chris. And you mentioned that guns can help to sell T-shirts and books, and they also help to sell movies. And it's kind of crazy how Hollywood is one of the biggest opponents of guns, yet they can't seem to make a single movie without bullets flying around the screen, even in the superhero movies that kids watch. Um, so they are so against you having a gun, but then on the other side, they won't dare leave a nickel on the table by not including guns in their films. No, you're, you're right. There's such a double standard and just a gross hypocrisy. Uh, it's amazing. I'm always, um, you know, one of the things I harp on, I see a movie and I see someone like smoking a cigarette in there. (laughs) That, that bothers me too. You know, (laughs) like, wow, you know, it's, uh, just just extol the virtue, but then they'll malign the tobacco industry too. Yeah. Cigarettes in every, you know, every movie. So, um, 
Yeah, so, so I, I've tried to give my kid experiences. Like I, I think I said at the jump of the of the interview, um, you know, he's he's scuba dives, he's flown a plane numerous times, and he's good with pretty much any weapon you can hand to him. It's just a you know a really responsible kid. Roots and wings—that's what I say. You give him roots and give him wings. Yeah, very cool. And I see that you have a music career going on. How did you kind of sidestep into that, or were you always a singer? Well, not not really. So, you know, I grew up in, in Catholic grade school, and, you know, you, you sing all the time. You got music class, and uh, I never have any formal, never, never had any formal training singing, but I think just those experiences, I can carry a decent tune. And, you know, the national anthem is 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 my favorite song. And, you know, I would sing that here and there, and a couple times I sang it and got some pretty heavy, like, YouTube exposure, and I was approached by by a singer-songwriter group, and they said, wow, you know, I think you have some really, really good talent. That's the probably one of the hardest songs to sing, and you you kill it every time. So that, that my singing the National Anthem kind of led into into writing some songs and putting some music together. So I have one song out right now on iTunes and Amazon. It's called American Patriot. And I wrote it. I wrote the uh, the lyrics, wrote the music, and I sing it. And I've got probably 12, 15 other songs that are sitting in a can that I um, <laughs> don't know what to do with yet, but they're there. Um, so it, it's definitely a, a serious hobby. I'll say that. I'm, I'm not really – I think I make – you know, 20 bucks a month off the downloads on iTunes, (laughs) maybe 50, you know, so it's a, it's a serious hobby. Well, listen, I will drop the link in the description of today's podcast episode. So maybe we can bring that up to $60 this month. Alec, I appreciate that. That'll help defray the cost of that $18,000 a year tuition I pay for my, for my son at that (laughs) private Catholic boys school in, 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 uh, North, Northeastern Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) yeah well at least we'll chip away at it all right i just recently had barry sloan and jaylen moore on the podcast here and both of them starred in six on history channel there is also a show seal team that is out now do you watch any of these navy seal shows and how do you feel about how the seals are represented and portrayed on tv you i tune in from time to time if i just i don't i don't make a point to schedule my tv viewing around those shows but if i happen to just sit down and it's on i'll check it out and I'll, I'll say this, whoever their consultants are do a very good job. So, the, you know, the, the show is, is not so full of BS that you can't watch it and it's laughable. You know, you can, if you're able to, as, as, a, as an operator, as a, as a SEAL or an SF guy, you can suspend enough of your disbelief, just, just enough, where you can appreciate the show. I think it does a pretty fair job, and, uh, you know, I, I enjoy watching it when I do tune into it. Yeah, and I say it all the time here, Chris. I think it is such a benefit to our society that we have access to the Navy SEAL community and, and that mindset that you guys have, just that we can follow you on social media, we can read your books, and I just think that your philosophy and your capabilities are such an inspiration to so many people. I, I think it's awesome. Well, I agree. I agree, Alec. And it's, it's um, you know, I follow, I follow Justin Melnick on um, Instagram, and he's, he's on SEAL Team, the show. And uh, he seems like a pretty pretty grounded Grounded dudes, pretty cool cat. But you know, it's when, when I wanted to be a SEAL. I mean, I found out about the SEAL teams in, in a couple different ways. Um, I came across a couple of books, "Brave Men, Dark Waters" by Or Kelly, um, and, and um, is it? Geez, I hope I didn't say R. Kelly. <laughs> 
<laughs> maybe I'm saying the name wrong, but I remember the book Brave Men, Dark Waters, and then a couple of Vietnam Steel books, even like first Force Recon Marine books from Vietnam. There's one called um, Sunrise at Midnight. And then I, I watched the movie Green Berets and the movie Navy Seals with Charlie Sheen, and you know people laugh at that stuff, but those are little micro exposures that you know plant the seeds and start the wheels turning. And you know they 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 you know they say oh be a silent professional, be a quiet professional. Yeah, to an extent, you're not giving away current tactics, techniques, and procedures. But I think that next generation needs to be fostered by the heroic actions and activities of the current generation. That's how the Tree of Liberty is refreshed, right? They say the Tree of Liberty has to be refreshed by the blood of patriots, but it also has to be refreshed by the books of patriots. That's what I yeah. firmly believe. So anyone that besmirches another seal or a green beret or a, you know, a, whatever, for, from writing a book or, or, or you know, blast them from doing that is just an asshole, period. Yeah, hey, and not just for the next generation SEALs either. I mean, I just think for the average American citizen like myself here to have the opportunity to listen and learn from you guys. I mean, I understand that you can get hammered from inside the community when you come out with the books and stuff like that. But out here on this side, I think it's a big benefit. And I, I, if it were up to me, it would be mandatory that uh, a part of the retirement from the teens would mean you'd have to write your own autobiography. Well, I don't know if I, I'd go that far, but certainly if you, if you feel inclined to do so, you should have support. As long as you are not, you know, like I said, giving away national secrets or stuff that's classified, it should be welcomed. It should be welcomed in the community. There's a lot of, a lot of hypocritical people in the community. Um, I've heard of instances where a commanding officer or assault team leader or task unit commander strictly verbally prohibited people from, from writing books or discouraged them from doing it, I should say, but at the same time they were writing their own. Yeah. And they did that in order to get a jump on the quote-unquote competition. And, you know, people don't realize, just, just with SEALs alone, there have only been about 18,000 SEALs in the history of the United States of America. So if three or 4,000 of them are very successful writing books or they have their own brand, I love that. I would never try to bring someone down. You know, that, like the crab concept, right? When the one crab starts to get out of the bucket, the other crabs bring them back down. That's total bullshit. You mean to tell me that in America there's roughly, what, 350, 370 million people? So if 17,000 SEALs can't be prosperous spreading their wealth and their knowledge and their story among 350, 370 million people, that's, think of the numbers. I mean, there's plenty, plenty to go around. Yeah, hey, especially when we live in a country here where guys are getting paid $35 million a season to throw a football around, I, I think you guys definitely deserve a piece of the pie as well. Oh, I agree, and, and that's another thing I think about all the time. So if you spend 10 years in the spec ops community, you have done more physical damage to your body than if you spent 30 years in the, in, in the, in the branch of the military doing, quote-unquote, regular service. When you think about the pounding that you expose your body to, from you know, jumping to riding in things that just slam across a wall or slam across the ground or carrying 150 pounds of gear on you and, you know, in a combat environment, and that, that accelerates any deterioration on, on all of your joints. So I think they should revamp something in the spec ops with respect to disability or retirement where you can, you're immediately automatically eligible for a certain percent once you reach a certain milestone of time in service. That's, that's, that's what I think. Yeah, 100%. I couldn't agree with you more. All right, what's coming up next for you here, Chris? What kind of goals or plans do you have for yourself for the future? 
Well, yeah, I just co-wrote a book with a, a very dear friend of mine whose father was 30 years in the Navy. The book is called Enemy in the Wire. It's a faction book, so it's, it's, it's fact-based fiction. It's a, it's a page-turner. I mean, most people I talk to, they read the book, they said, man, I couldn't put this book down. I smoked through it in 30 days, or 30, three days. It's a page-turner. Enemy in the Wire, you can get that on mascotbooks.com. That's mascot with one T. Uh, it's also available on Amazon. So that's currently currently I have what I have out there in the ether right now. Um, but as far as you know, my next move business-wise, work-wise, I'm headfirst into being a physician assistant here in North Carolina. My 12-month to 18-month plan is to have my own functional medicine clinic here. There's over 17,000 veterans in the just in the county that I live in. I'm close to Fort Bragg and I'm close to Jacksonville, um, North Carolina. So you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of guys and gals that need help that have you know heavy metal toxicity. They have chronic depression, chronic pain. Um, I want to I want to get people better. I want to get them off ten drugs, keep them on you know one to two to three, and and uh, make them truly make them feel better, and not just chase their symptoms. That's that's my goal for for myself going forward and for my community. Yeah, awesome. That's incredible, Chris. And I will include a link in the description of this podcast episode as well to the book on Amazon so my listeners can just click the link, get over there and check it out. Last thing I want to hit you with here, Chris, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening? Don't don't half-step parenting. you got to be all in. Be in the moment in every moment. And I would institute a you know a no-smartphone technology um, at, at, at dinners, uh, and do not be on your cell phone on the car, in the car when you're driving because kids are sponges. They would suck that stuff up, and that's what they're going to do. So really be mindful of your behaviors. Be in the moment. Be there. A dad that's there, even if you're making some mistakes, is way better than, a, than an absentee parent, period. Just be there and teach your kids that you know, love is the most powerful force in the universe. Give them experiences over things. Don't buy them crap. Give them an experience. Well said. I love the advice. It's a great message. Uh, Chris McKinley, i got to say you are a first-class father. Thank you for your service, and thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on First Class Fatherhood. Alec, my pleasure, man, and uh, we'll do this again sometime. Thank you so much. Okay, I'm back with a couple of closing thoughts in just a second here. Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I got to give a special thank you once again to Chris McKinley for giving me a few minutes of his time here. It was such an honor. Please hit me up on Twitter, guys, or drop me that DM over on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. I always love to read your feedback. Another Frogman Friday episode is in the books, and I got another one coming at you next week. I got an incredible lineup of fathers that will be joining me here. We are going to hit our 200th episode next week, so make sure you lock it in and subscribe to the podcast and follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace for all the latest guest announcements. And if you have time, please get over to iTunes and drop me a rating or a review. It goes a long way to help me out. That's all I got for you guys today. I hope you enjoy your weekend out there with the kids. I'm Alec Lace. You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first class fathers.